Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, let's talk about eschatology. Now, that's a big word that probably some of our listeners don't even know what that's about. We're going to get into all that. In fact, this is week one of a five-week series that you can find at PursueGod.org that is all about eschatology, which is about the end times. We're going to talk about the rapture, if people have heard of that. If they haven't, buckle in, because you're going to learn all about it next week. We're going to talk about the tribulation and the Antichrist. People love to talk about that kind of stuff these days. We're going to talk about the millennium. And we're even going to finish up in week five of this series by talking about hell. Is hell for real? Is that a real thing? That's, you know, that sounds like a, like a cartoonish thing. Is, is hell even for real? In fact, there are some Christians out there, pastors, evangelists, whatever, people on TV, influencers that say that hell's not for real. God is love, so hell can't be real. We're going to get into all that. But today, we're going to start just in general with sort of an introduction to this concept. We're going to just zoom out before we zoom in in the rest of this series. We're going to zoom out. We're going to talk about eschatology. So maybe just give us some context because we're talking about the future and what's going to happen in the future. And and even even if you're not a Christian or a churchgoer, you might be obsessed with that kind of a question. Right. Eschatology just means the study of last things, literally, which, like you said, really amounts to the study of the future. And whether that's the future of an individual or the future of the world as a whole. And you know what? Honestly, you look around, people are obsessed with what's going to happen in the future. I was thinking about all the Hollywood movies that talk about themes about the future. There's these different visions like the total annihilation by an environmental catastrophe or or aliens or artificial intelligence and robots take over or, or whatever, some new disease. And so people are really interested in eschatology for sure. But today we're going to talk about the biblical perspective of eschatology. And we want to just do uh, really an overview because as you mentioned, we're going to come back and talk about some of the things in detail. We're going to touch on all those things today, but we're going to talk about them in more depth in future episodes. So we're going to tr- just try to do an, uh, a general overview and introduction to some of the main issues with respect to what happens you know, in the future. You know, I love, I don't know about you, Ross, but I love those kinds of movies. I love like the annihilism, the end times kind of movies, not not yeah. from a biblical point of view, but just from a, like Waterworld, for example. Some people hated that movie. I loved that movie. <laughs> I thought it was fascinating to see how like Hollywood envisions the end of the world because the Bible talks about the end of the world. And I think so for thousands of years, I think human beings have been fascinated with this idea mm-hmm. is, is the world just going to continue forever or is there going to be some, some end someday to everything? And then I, I just love to see how secular producers and writers envision these kinds of things. It, it's on everybody's mind. So why not right. talk about what the Bible says about it? Right? Absolutely. Well, the one thing for, from a Christian perspective It starts with and ends with, really, it's all about the return of Jesus. And other things, we're going to look at other questions about what events happen before and after, then kind of around the return of Jesus. But really for us, Jesus is coming back, and that's really the main thing in our eschatology. 
Okay, so hold on. Let, let's we, we're in it already now. So you're telling me, Ross, because I think a lot of our listeners don't even really know what the Bible says about it. You're telling me that the Bible definitively says that there's going to be an end of the world. Because I guess some people would say, no, the world's just going to continue forever. That was God's plan. Like, there's never going to be an end to the world. You're telling me that, uh, we should start with that, that there's going to be an end? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, even back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this is this theme that God is going to show up one day and he's going to establish his rule and he's going to eradicate evil and he's going to restore the whole world and restore his people. And so uh, and, you know, historically, the way that word has been used, it could be God showing up in the short term to do that on a on a local scale or God showing up in the big picture to do that on a global scale. The Old Testament clearly talks about the day of the Lord and describes what happens. And then the New Testament picks up that theme and associates it with the return of Jesus. And Jesus talked about his return quite a lot. He said he's coming back. And at that time, the Bible tells us that that's going to be the end of history as we know it and the beginning of a new phase of history, you might say, um, the end of the, the world as we understand it now and the beginning of a new world and a new kind of eternal um, approach. Okay, so let's look at some Bible passages that bear this out. Jeremiah 46.10, For this is the day of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, a day of vengeance on his enemies. Joel 2.1 sets context. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. That's why I love Waterworld, right? Or, or those kinds of movies, because you see people taking it seriously. In fact, I think this, by the way, is a good evangelistic kind of an entryway into an evangelistic conversation for people to know, like, the end of the world is going to come. The Bible says that very clearly, and you should be afraid because of that. That should sort of wake you up and get you to pay attention to what the Bible has to say about it. So for all of you evangelists out there, and we should all be evangelists, one of the reasons you should listen to this isn't just for your own information, but also so that you can talk about this with people and help them to understand uh, that this is a real thing. Joel 2.30-32 to, to says, I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark. This sounds like a movie now, Ross. And the moon will turn to blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But here's encouragement. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's a great summary kind of for this idea of the return of Christ. And what's encouraging compared to the, you know, Hollywood media is that this, the end of that verse, there's hope. There's not always hope in some of the post-apocalyptic movies, you know, that (laughs) this is just hope of humanity just hanging on by a thread, but there's hope that, that God is going to restore, make things whole, give humanity a future, you know, and there's hope that uh, wrongs will be made right and justice will be done. Okay, now those verses I just read were all in the Old Testament, but there's a great verse in the New Testament, Revelation 1, verse 7. It says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, talking about the return of Jesus, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. So, Ross, this seems to be saying that the return of Christ someday is going to be visible. 
Right. It's it's going to be a public event. It's going to be a historic event. The whole world's going to know it and that it's, it's Jesus. So here's some things that people have said about the return of Christ that have abused this idea. So for example, Sun Myung Moon, the founder of the Unification Church, he claimed to be the second coming of Christ. Mm. Well, there's a problem with that because Jesus said, it'll be me. He said, <laughs> you know, you'll see me coming the way that, that I left. And, and and some have said that, oh, Jesus is coming back, it's his spirit, and his spirit will rule, and like, you know, but Jesus said, no, it'll be me, look, because it'll be visible, you can see him, it'll be him and not somebody else. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a concrete event that we can look forward to. Okay, good. Then the next question that our listeners might be asking is, oh, great, when's it going to happen? Like, if I know when he comes back, this is perfect. If I know when he comes back, I can be ready for it. I can make my family ready for it. Does the Bible have anything to say about the timing of Jesus's return? Yeah, it does. It says we don't know when. So some people might think, oh, if I know when Jesus was coming back, then I could just do whatever I want to do and and get my act together the day before. That's what the Bible warns that that's not going to work because in Matthew 25, verse 13, Jesus himself says, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. And in Matthew 24, he says, Keep watch. You don't know the day your Lord is coming. He says, You must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And so there's no timetable. It, it just could, it could happen very suddenly. We can't know. I mean, all the, all the people who've said, uh, Jesus is returning in such and such a year or such and such a time um, have been wrong. So we just can't know. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, or maybe junior high, a book came out, um, 88 Reasons That Jesus Will Return in 1988 or something like that. Yeah, yeah I remember that. And then he came out with one next year, 89 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1989. <laughs> and um, then yeah. he, he quit. He quit because he was wrong twice. Yeah, I think he didn't want, you know, three strikes and you're out. I think he right. knew that. So he, he, he figured maybe I should stop writing these books. Okay, so we don't know the timing of Jesus' return, but we do know that there are going to be some signs, and we do know that he's going to come back. Again, Jesus himself said it, that he's going to come back. And so that might sound like Hollywood stuff, but but that's what the Bible says. And the Bible also says that when he comes, he's going to come for his people and that his people will be transformed. John 14, 3, when everything is ready, Jesus speaking here, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. First John 3, 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And then of course, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 through 17 really gets into this. That's a passage we're, we're going to be looking probably at 1 Thessalonians a lot in this series. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And so what, what is Paul talking about, Ross, in those passages? I, I know we're going to get into this more yeah. later in the series, but give us just a good, good overview here. You know, in that particular passage, he's talking about how when Jesus returns, that all of the the dead who followed him, people who, Christians who have died, are going to be raised from the dead. They're going to be resurrected. And if we're still alive when that happens, then we'll be transformed to our eternal body. It goes on to say the uh, believers who have died will rise from their graves. 
together with them we are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's that word caught up is the word that is translated rapture. So this is talking about what we call the rapture of Jesus. And so this is going to be, this is the hope. We have this blessed hope. The Bible calls it a blessed hope. The early church used a phrase called Maranatha, which, which is uh, one of the ancient languages for come quickly, Lord, come quickly. And so the heart of the Christian has been, God, we, Jesus, we just need you to come. We want you to come. We're hoping because we're going to be transformed. We're going to be changed. Uh, we're going to be with you forever. And so that's the heart and the motive behind, behind Christians because of these kind of promises. Okay, so we'll talk about the rapture next week. So we'll come back to this passage. We'll dive into different views on the rapture next week. So that's that's it for the return of Christ. That's one of the kind of the main things people need to understand. Again, when you're wrapping your mind around this idea of eschatology, the end times, what does the Bible say about it? It, it talks about the return of Christ. I think that's the first thing people need to understand. Ross, the second thing people need to understand is kind of even scarier than the, the idea of the return of Christ or the rapture. The second thing is this idea of the tribulation. You know, that's kind of a Christian word. What do we mean when we say the tribulation? Yeah, tribulation, we don't use that every day in everyday language, but it basically means trouble. It means especially a severe kind of trouble. It could be a prevalence of evil. It could be Christians being persecuted. It could, it could entail a lot of different expressions. But the idea is that there, Bible talks about a time, a, a period of time, surrounding the return of Jesus when planet Earth will experience this intense trouble and challenge, partly the judgment of God on humanity and partly the, the uh, evil people who want to um, oppose Christianity, that this is something like that's greater than any kind of period of trouble or persecution than the world has ever seen. And it's sort of the climax of the opposition of the world to God. Mark chapter 13 says this, verse 19, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. So this passage, Ross, is talking about the tribulation, right? And again, for Christians listening to this, they're saying, oh my gosh, like what? So wait, what, what is this again? What? hold on, let me, some of our listeners are like rewinding this podcast saying, wait, I need to hear that again. What, what are you talking about, Willis? Well, one of the uh, issues that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks is that Christians are divided on, on whether actually Christians will be in the tribulation or will be removed from or spared from the tribulation. Will we go through the tribulation? That's we'll talk about that uh, when we when we resume in an, another week. The pro, the point is, is that this is what happens on earth before Jesus comes back. There's going to be the rise of evil in rebellion against God. There's going to be God's judgment on the earth. Those are the two aspects of it. So the rise of evil is often associated with this figure in the Bible, in the book of Revelation and other parts of the Bible called the Antichrist. He's called the man of lawlessness and he's called simply the beast in the book of Revelation. He's, he's uh, the Revelation 13 says the beast is allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. He's given authority to do whatever he wants to do for 42 months. 
The beast is allowed to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them, given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. So there's this, he represents the climax or the pinnacle of human and demonic opposition against God that comes to a focal point before Jesus comes back. Okay, so the question that we'll be covering when we dive into this in week three of this series is really, as you mentioned, Ross, will Christians be subjected to this? So some some people are going to say, no, you'll be taken from the earth when Jesus returns. So in other words, Christians will not have to endure the tribulation. And then some people will say, yes, that that um, the the tribulate that Christians will have to almost like there's a testing of their faith, I guess, as they endure the tribulation. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll explore that. Um, there's a lot of factors that play into that, that question of which one of those uh, is more accurate. I'll expose what I, what I believe personally, when we get to that topic, but um, I also, there's also a perspective to say, look, we, if we don't know for sure, we, we probably ought to get ready for it. <laughs> Maybe. If we're not sure about it, we probably ought to prepare as if we're going to go through it and, and just be ready for, I mean, it's just being faithful and it's being, you know, aligned with Jesus and being trusting in him. Because honestly, the Bible talks about minor times of tribulation throughout history. And so there are times when evil is opposed to God. And there are times when char- human characters have are allowed to wage war against God's holy people, and persecution does take place. And so we ought to be prepared for those are sort of precursors to this final expression of that. And, and Christians all around the world are not exempt from from those kind of factors and forces, even though we might be exempt from that final expression, we're not exempt now. Okay, so we've we've got the rapture and the second coming of Christ. We'll talk about that next week. We've got the idea of the tribulation and how the Antichrist and the beast ties into that. We'll talk about that in week three. And then another big concept, Ross, when we're talking about eschatology, you know, the study of the end times from a biblical perspective is this idea of the millennium. And a lot of a lot of Christians would have heard this uh, this concept of this word millennium, but they might be a little bit unclear what does that mean? Probably for non-Christians, they're thinking Star Wars when they hear a word like that. We're not talking about the millennial fa- falcon. We're talking about the millennium. So what is that from a biblical perspective? Right. So in Revelation chapter 20, Jesus comes back in the end of chapter 19 and he conquers all the enemies that are arrayed against him. And so chapter 20 introduces a new period, sort of a new thing. Um, And Revelation chapter 20 describes this 1,000-year period when Jesus will rule on the earth. And it says, you know, the the saint, that believers are resurrected at the beginning of it, non-believers are resurrected at the end of it, and the Satan is bound for that period of time, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. And so the question, so there is this, this sense of millennium. Millennium means a thousand years, and it's described as a thousand years. The question is, in understanding the book of Revelation, how much of Revelation is literal and how much of it is figurative? And so different people have, depending on how they understand Revelation, have said, oh, this is a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus that comes after he returns. Others have said, no, this is um, symbolic 
of Jesus' reign in human history. And he's, he's reigning now over his church, over his people. And so this is symbolic of how Satan, you know, uh, just as it's giving us a picture, but it's not literal and we shouldn't take it literally. And so the, those kind of questions of interpretation are what lead people to uh, adopt different views on what the millennium means. Uh, let's just talk real quickly about those views. Again, we'll get into this in week four in this series, but there are three main views. One is premillennial, one is postmillennial, and one is amillennial. So just real quick, Ross, walk us through this. The premillennial view, people who believe in that, what do they mean by that? Yes, yeah, so pre, the, pre, the prefix pre, that's referring to the timing of Jesus' return. So the premillennial view is that Jesus comes before the millennium, that his, set, his return, he comes back, and, and then the millennium begins at that, at that time. And so premillennial view is that the thousand years is literal, that Jesus is actually going to rule on earth and kind of show what his rule can do or what it's like in history, in the conditions of earthly life with unbelievers and and people and so and believers and so forth and only at the end of the millennium does eternity begin the final judgment occurs at the end of the millennium and then basically people are um, sent to heaven and hell and then then heaven i guess heaven begins when the millennium ends okay the second view is called post-millennial and so this must again ross be referring to Jesus is coming, but we're saying the post-millennialists say that Jesus comes after the millennium. So it's not a literal thousand-year period that comes after Jesus come to conquer and so forth. But the idea of the post-millennial view is that the, the rule of God is throughout human history and that things get better and better and better, that um, over time, as human conditions and as the gospel spreads and more and more people come to faith and and the influence of Christianity changes cultures and it changes the human condition and so forth, that, that it, it climaxes or it peaks at the return of Jesus. And so this is actually a view that was pretty common in the, say, the Revolutionary War era of teachers like... Um, Jonathan Edwards and others were post-millennial, and they looked around and they saw as the missionary movement started to come go around the world, they saw evidence of this. But And we'll talk about this when we get to our detailed examination of these things, but um, this, is a, this is a view that kind of died out after World War I, when people said, oh, the world's not getting better and better every day. The world's getting worse and worse. And so, but the, there's still some post-millennials around, and, uh, but it's, it's less common and um, less prominent than it was in the past. And the last view is amillennial. So what does the ah mean in amillennial? Yeah, ah means no millennium. And so basically the idea is that there isn't some kind of a period either before or after where something's happening, but this is, the millennium is just symbolic of Jesus' rule in the world. Um, it, it describes the spiritual warfare because Satan is bound and Jesus rules. It describes spiritual warfare that occurs throughout history. And so the idea that Jesus really is ruling now, Jesus doesn't become king later, that he really is ruling now as Lord, at least over his people. 
and that um, when he comes back, it won't be a it won't be a historical period. He'll just he'll just usher in the eternal age. And so, amillennials. There's a lot of amillennial people, uh, viewers around nowadays at different certain denominations that typically will look at the Book of Revelation as symbolic, or look at it as a cyclical book that repeats a, a cycle, a symbolic cycle over several times. And so, they would say that no, there's some things, reasons why we wouldn't take this as a literal phenomenon, but we take it as representing something heavenly that's taking place even now. Okay, so we've talked about the rapture, the second coming of Christ. We've talked about the tribulation and the Antichrist. We've talked about this idea of the millennium and how all of these things sort of fit together chronologically. And the the last thing, you know, some our listeners might say, well, what else is there? Well, the last thing is just the age to come. So all of this stuff is is leading us toward the new heavens and the new earth and the age to come and maybe what you've been calling eternity, right? When eternity actually begins, heaven and hell and that kind of stuff. Right. And so you you got this sequence of, you know, things happening either before or after the return of Jesus, but eventually after Jesus comes back, then eventually we, we all agree that, you know, the eternal age begins and history and life as we know it on the earth presently ends. So the end of, of sin, the end of opposition against God's rule and so forth, so that the end times wrap up as the earth is made new and God's people join him then for eternity. So history then transitions. At some point in the future, history is going to transition from the present age that we live in now with all of its characteristics to the eternal age, and it, it'll be different, you know, ultimately forever different than it is now. Yeah, and the earth will be recreated to recapture the original glory of Eden. Second Peter 3 talks about this. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So again, this is where we get into kind of like the Hollywood type stuff. Wow, this is really happening. Like, like This thing is really happening. And all of this stuff that we've talked about so far, Ross, we would we would classify under like general eschatology, right? But there's another yeah. thing that enters in here. And we'll get into this a little bit more in week five of our series. And it would fall under a kind of another category of, we would call it personal eschatology. And this is where at the end of all of this, or some at some point in all of this, right? Human beings will stand before God on a personal level in a final judgment of their lives. Talk us through that just a little bit. That is discussed in a number of passages. It's discussed in Revelation uh, chapter 20, and um, where, where all of human beings will stand before God and give an account for their life based on, you know, God has records, so that at least it speaks spoken of like records as if he's going to bring out books about all of our deeds, and everybody's going to fail the judgment of their deeds. And it says those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life will then be spared. And so the idea where that the that the world as a whole is preparing for this and it's going to have there's going to be two places where people will go so those who belong to Jesus who've trusted in him will go into what we now call heaven revelation 21 talks about this new earth so heaven is literally on the earth 
the earth, as we know it now, but the earth will be changed. It won't be the earth we know now. It'll be the, it'll be a renewed earth. But then there's the the um, there's people who did not trust in Jesus to be right with God are going to enter God's judgment for their rebellion, for their sin. And Revelation 21.8 describes cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, liars, and it goes on and on. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And it says this is the second death. So this is where personal eschatology comes into play because everybody's going to have to make a choice and their choice will have eternal consequences. And again, we'll get into that specifically because I, I think probably a lot of our listeners have questions about hell. Is that for real? Is that a real thing? Well, again, we're going to look and see what the Bible says about it. And personal eschatology, for as scary as general eschatology is, personal eschatology is, Ross, it's, re- it's really where the rubber meets the road. Because right, for sure. You know, this is this is not something you can opt out of. You, you can't say, ah, I don't want to really read this stuff. This is a little scary to me. I don't want to read this. I don't want my kids to read this. Well, you, know, you, you should you should want to know what God's word has to say about it because this is literally life and death information, literally, and not just life and death here on earth, but life and death into eternity because the Bible says eternity is for real. So, Ross, I guess maybe that's how we can finish up this particular episode is you know what 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 would you say to a christian who listens to all this and says man that is just tmi that's just a lot of getting in the weeds on this stuff i don't know i i don't i'm not interested i'm not sure that i'm really even interested in a series like this i i don't i don't even i don't feel like i need to know i don't feel like i want to know i feel like there's going to be too much too many counterpoints too much disagreement too much back and forth too many options like i guess i don't know what would you say to somebody who stands there today listening to this yeah i can i can understand that perspective because you know inquiring minds want to know and so there's a lot of um hype that goes into the the uh, end times and a lot of preachers who've sort of made their reputation and made their following based on talking about the end times because there's certain elements of it that can be um, sensationalized for sure but the fact is this is a this is a central essential point of Christian theology this is part of the Christian faith is Jesus is coming back at some unspecified future date and he's going to judge and rule and redeem and all the things that he's going to do they have an effect on our life and so yeah we're gonna we're gonna try to figure out what what happens surrounding that time and how that has an effect on us. But I'm not going to try to, in this series, we're not going to try to like cross every T and dot every I, but we're just going to give people a sense of what the issues are and what they need to think about and understand because Jesus is coming back again. And that's a, a blessed hope. It's a glorious hope for followers of Christ. It's also an incentive to stay faithful to him while we await his appearing. And so I think this is a verse, let me let me quote this verse from Titus 2 that should help our listener understand why this matters, why we want to get into this. Titus chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So it helps us have hope. It helps us have wisdom. 
in how we live in the world we live in now. And one day Jesus is coming back and it matters to our lives. Well, the series is called Eschatology. You can find it. If you want to talk about this entire series with your family and family devotionals or with your small group or one-on-one with a mentor, we really recommend it. It's called Eschatology. You can find it at pursuegod.org forward slash eschatology. We'll be building the series right here on the podcast over the next five weeks. So join us next time as we get into lesson number two, which is going to be all about the rapture. We'll see you then. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit pursuegod.org forward slash donate.